Old friends are like old memories. They always remind you of your past, and we are reminding ourselves of the past episodes from this week of Good Company for the best of Good Company with me, Holly Taylor. I'm Holly Taylor, and when we think of our country, maybe we think of the fact that we've got lots and lots of incredible nature scenes to wander through. Maybe you think of the fact that hockey and lacrosse are our national sports. Maybe you think of the fact that we like to embrace languages. Specifically, our two national languages, English and French. So I was a little surprised when I saw this stat. And I don't know if it includes Canada. I think it's just the U.S. Um, From diving into the article a little bit more, but um, one of the higher rates of bilingualism is in the U.S., It kind of makes sense, though, when you think of how close they are to uh, the Mexico border, a lot of immigration happening. Uh, So apparently... um, about 23% of the U.S. population is bilingual. Um, most of those, it's English and Spanish. So they are just a few points higher than France and Britain. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to see even more bilingual of a nation than Germany or even in Italy. So in the U.S., coming in strong with people learning more than one language, which is, I think, maybe in part because of immigration, um, maybe in part because of just the desire to be able to have fluency in different languages. I mean, you're traveling. It's great to be able to speak that language. So there you go. The studies are in. And if you want to find the most bilingual country, looks like it might just be the U.S. On that note, it makes me wonder, how many languages do you know? My children's swimming instructor, he speaks three languages. I'm so fascinated by that. I can barely speak English on a good day. Ask producer Mike <laughs> as he laughs in the background. How many languages do you speak, producer Mike? Uh, only one, Anglais. Oh, there you go. Ooh, but you said it with some flair. We. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my kids are learning French. Uh, thanks to French immersion. Um, so they laugh at me whenever I try to read French signs, especially my oldest, who grew up uh, learning the bulk of her French in Alberta, which, ironically enough, uh, we found gave her a better handle on the French language. So that was funny. I did not expect that. And yeah, she'll be like, Mom, no, it's... What? It's Well, it depends on her teacher, too. So she first learned one as un, and now it's like un, very Quebecois. <laughs> she still laughs at me. I still can't say it right. So I'm... Okay, you're one, producer Mike. I'm 0.5. Okay. <laughs> what about you? Text in 905-338-1250. How many languages do you know? I'm Holly Taylor, and it was interesting to see the football game from all the different angles, from the Taylor Swift fans who were there to see how many sightings they would have of her, to those who wanted to see the halftime show, to those who were just generally interested in who was going to win. But I love the stories behind the story of football, as in the States, we know it's huge, and it's very tied into the fabric of their culture. It's important to them. It's the three F's faith, family, and football. And so just hearing some of those stories about that element of people's faith heading into the game was very, very inspiring. I mean, you think of Brock Purdy, the quarterback for the 49ers, um, literally making headlines because he was considered Mr. Irrelevant. I mean, he was the last quarterback to be drafted. And he really, I mean, when you take a look at the pay scale, he's paid accordingly to their 
their perceived value of him. So definitely the story of an underdog, but being able to say, you know, I'm here because of God, I'm giving this platform uh, an opportunity to share my faith. And that's exactly what he has done this entire journey to the Super Bowl. And so I really appreciated uh, what he said coming out of the game, you know, talking about how he could be a stronger leader and seeing the things that he could learn to do differently. And then heading into the game, saying that win or lose, he's going to give thanks and just saying that he's not praying for a win, but he'll be praying for peace. And I just think it's so interesting. Often we pray for the wins. We pray for what we think will benefit us or make us feel good in that moment. But praying for peace often means that you are praying, knowing that it may not go your way, that you're going to have peace in every and all situations. It goes outside of just the thing, but really dives more into the character and who we are. It got me thinking about how would I pray (laughs) heading into the Super Bowl? I mean, lots of people would have been praying for one team or the other team to win. But how do you approach those situations? So I'm kind of curious when it comes to those big things in life. How do you handle those big things? How do you get ready for them? 905-338-1250 for Brock Purdy. Definitely using things like this to really dial into prayer. I'm Holly Taylor. This is Good Company. And if you've ever had a day that's just been a lazy day and maybe you felt a little guilty about it, I want to encourage you not to. I mean, we all know that God rested on the seventh day. So yes, we can take lazy days too. Jesus rested. So sometimes we just need to unplug, to recharge. And so according to science, it actually also backs this up. It says having one lazy day per week can help reduce stress, high blood pressure, and improve mental health. So science Uh, getting on board with having those lazy days. And so that's what I want to talk about is how often do you carve out a lazy day for yourself? I remember growing up and Sundays just naturally were our lazy day. We'd wake up, we'd go to church, we'd have Sunday afternoon naps, we might see friends, but it was just a chill day, a day to do nothing. And I mean, stores weren't even open, so we couldn't even be tempted to go to the grocery store or shopping. It was a day for nothing, just rest. And so, yeah, I just, I feel like we don't do it as often as we should. So we try to have at least uh, a Sabbath day of doing things that maybe give us a little more joy because I can have a restful or a lazy day and it includes doing something fun and activity filled with my kids. So I wouldn't say so much the lazy days are doing nothing, but unplugging and finding the things that allow you to recharge. So when are you having those lazy days? Do you do it weekly? Science says, yes, we should. So now we have like, we can get doctor's notes for this maybe. I don't know. I'm going to have to ask my doctor. But lazy days, how often are you getting them? 905-338-1250. I'm Holly Taylor. We're talking about how good you are at keeping a secret. You can text in your stories at 905-338-1250. I got a message here. This is from Neil. He said that he had the <laughs> very challenging Uh, task of keeping a secret. His daughter was pregnant with baby number one, the first grandbaby. So very exciting, but he had to wait until she gave everybody the go-ahead nod. 
He said it was very challenging, but he did it. So there we go. See, that that would be a hard secret to keep. I mean, you want to say something, but you can't. So we're keeping secrets, but the good kind here. Producer Mike, how would you rate yourself on your secret keeping skills? I think I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. I don't come across many secrets, though. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean... Um yeah, around a pregnancy or a marriage or something, for sure, right? Yeah, you don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, you don't want to be the spoiler alert person. No. Nobody likes that person. And then you don't get invited <laughs> to the wedding. <laughs> you never get to meet the child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know you're holding on to a secret because I know that secret. So I can't wait to the <laughs> secret to be out and around the office. Um, so I would say, yeah, you're a good secret keeper. Um, and I can when I need to be. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, right? It yeah. depends on the severity of the secret. Yes, yeah. or the the positive weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the implications. Anyway, how are you at keeping a secret? 905-338-1250. I'm Holly Taylor, and it is really incredible just to see where technology is taking us as we've seen so many developments with different kinds of uh, medical devices, different kinds of literally everything. Even how we listen to music now has changed over the years. And they have now unveiled the first ever prosthetic limb that actually allows the wearer to sense temperature, which is incredible and something I never even thought of. So for someone who has lost a limb, that would be something they don't get to experience anymore. But with the mini touch device, it actually allows amputees to be able to feel hot or feel cold. And they use thermal information at the fingertips of the prosthetic hand. Um, and then it actually via residual waves allows them to feel that feeling again which is pretty incredible when you think about it. It makes me wonder where devices will continue to go from here. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking Terminator maybe. I don't know. But uh, the innovation is really and truly mind-boggling and how that would be such a game changer for someone to once again be able to feel those kinds of things, uh, things they once thought or took for granted. So there you go. Scientists in Italy and Switzerland hoping that this could be something that they use for all kinds of prosthetics, for all kinds of different sorts of amputees. So incredible. We're going to be waiting. What comes out next?